Hallelujah. All right. Let's turn our Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to be reading together this morning verses 20 and 21. 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 20 and 21. The name of the message this morning is set apart by baptism. Set apart by baptism. Tonight is baptism Sunday night. Um, we, have, we have quite a few um, to baptize this evening as they're taking that necessary step of faith. And it just so happens this is where we are in the Word of God today. How, how many of you, by, by show of hands, enjoy shopping? You like to shop. How many of you, when you go shopping, think about this, do you bring a list when you go shopping? How many of you, uh, uh, you know what you're getting, you've got a mental note, so you don't need a list, you're just going in to get what you need to get. Um, uh, uh, how many of you like to just go shopping for the experience? You don't really have anything to buy, um, but you're what they call window shopping, okay? Uh, my wife likes to do that, window shopping, likes to take her time. How, how many of you like to shop online? That's my kind of thing. Yes, uh, uh, now I'll admit Walmart grocery pickup, best thing ever invented, all right? You, you, can, you can buy uh, your, your groceries online. You can set a pickup time, come pick them up. Don't have to step a foot inside of hell on earth. Isn't that great? <laughs> so so, so uh, that, that's a good idea. How many of you don't know what you're after, but you've got money that you know that you have to spend? If you don't spend it, it's going to burn a hole in your pocket, okay? You don't know what you're going after, but you've got money to spend. How many like doing that? Uh, my, my, my boys like to do that. Uh, so, so now I must ask this final question. I'm probably going to be sick on the inside a little bit, but how many of you like to yard sale shop? Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, I, listen, I buy on purpose. I, I'm not the type of person that, 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 that buys stuff for the sake of buying things. I am going to use it. I'm going to buy it. I have in mind what I'm going to get when I go to shop. Uh, but have you ever watched people when they go to shop, you know, the things that they buy. And, and have you ever watched someone buy something and, and you're just asking the question when they get, what in the world are they thinking? You know, what are they going to do with that? Uh, uh, and, and, and really, why are they wasting the money on it? I, I was online earlier this week and I came across this list of weird things that people will buy on Amazon. Did you know right now, if you shop online today, you can purchase and have delivered right to your front door 1,500 ladybugs in a box. You can buy them. And, and you know what? They, they, will, they will eat aphids, uh, moth eggs, scales, thrips, leaf hoppers, all kinds of bugs that are harmful to your plant. But you can order right now 1,500 ladybugs will be delivered right to your steps. Have you done that before? Oh, you'll do it. Oh, glad to inspire you today. Praise the Lord. Okay, uh, uh, did you know, right this, you can buy online right now a thing called a daddle saddle. A daddle saddle, all right? That is, that is for parents who want to give their kids piggyback rides, but they don't want to go through the pain of having to carry them on their bare back. So you buy a daddle saddle, you can strap that thing around your waist and have a real-life saddle on your back and give your kids all the yippee yi yokai they want right there in your house. How about this one? I found this. There is a frog-shaped piece of soap that's named Stephen. <laughs> a real-life frog-shaped uh, frog piece of soap. And, and there's nothing too terribly weird about, about a frog-shaped soap. You know, soap can come in all shapes and sizes. But just the fact that if you're ever having a lonely day, 
You can be walking and have your soap in your pocket and just say, I've got Stephen right here with me. <laughs> okay? <laughs> There's Stephen sitting back there. <laughs> and, and my favorite, okay, my favorite one that I saw was this talking toilet paper spindle. All right? You can, you can record your own messages to be played the next time you go to grab toilet paper. Now, just think about this for a second, okay? Humor me for a moment. You go to grab a piece of toilet paper and you hear your voice speaking to you. And they're saying, they're saying this, go ahead, get two rolls or two <laughs> or, or, or get two pieces or, or motivating you, you know, you can do this. You know, Peter, use the force. All right. Think about that. How good that can be. The possibilities are endless, folks. I actually wouldn't mind a toilet paper spindle. Okay, so, so I'm looking through these items, and I might be like you, and you're asking, does anyone ever buy these things? Well, if they're selling them, somebody's buying them, all right? Uh, and, and, and so someone set, set out on a journey, and they want to spend money on those types of things. And I was, I was looking at these strange items. I had this thought. Does anybody ever have that thought about the Christian faith as in strange? I mean, I mean sure, we get what we're about. Okay, uh, uh, we, it, it's normal for us to come together in a building on a Sunday morning and worship the Lord together, sing songs to the Lord, pray together, open our Bibles, uh, hear, a, hear a sermon or a lesson to mature our faith in the Lord. That all seems normal to us, and that seems normal for us. But, but you know, going on a mission trip, helping those in need, sharing Christ, yeah, yeah, th- those things are normal to us. But what about to the unbeliever? Uh, they, they may not understand that at all. And, and, and it's the same thing with Christian baptism. Think about it. If you're not familiar with, with the Christian practice and, and obedience marker of baptism and culture, baptism is not a normal thing to behold. You know, you go to a lake or to a pool and, you know, we enjoy that. We enjoy doing those things. You go to the beach, you enjoy that. But Christians purposely getting into the water and, and, and willingly allowing somebody to dunk us or put us under, you know, for a couple of seconds. And then that person comes out of the water and they're all excited and people are surrounding them and they're praising God. That might be normal to us, but to someone who doesn't know Christ, that could appear strange. You know, seriously, looking back into the the first century, think about those who were watching baptisms, the very first baptisms in the Jordan River. You know, they may have been asking, what in the world is going on, Apostle Peter? We're we're baptizing people is what he says. And they might say, well, really? Well, what is that? And why are people so happy, you know, about getting soaking wet? Think about how strange it must seem to those who are not engaged with what is really happening. It's almost like buying a daddle saddle or a bar of soap like a, shaped like a frog. Or, 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 you know, who really does that? Why do we get in the water and, and let each other down into the water and then back up? It may seem strange to those who are unengaged. Uh, it may seem strange to those who aren't Christians, family, friends alike, who are not saved. But to those of us who understand why, who understand its significance, who have decided to follow Jesus through believing on him for everlasting life, it is a very powerful, defining, spiritually touching moment. And it's meant to be shared. It's meant to be seen. It's meant to be heard about with hopes that it will indeed reach someone who doesn't know Christ's heart and bring them to the Lord Jesus. You know, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave the great commission for, for, for all believers to go all into the world and make disciples of the nations. And then he said to do what with them? 
baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And ever since those words were said, People have been dunking people in rivers and streams and oceans and church baptistries and jacuzzis and swimming pools, all because Jesus said to do it. And there have been some pretty awesome moments of baptism. Think about what it would have been like in the days of the apostle Peter and John in Acts chapter 2 when 3,000 people were saved gloriously and then they were baptized there one day in Jerusalem or or in the days of St. Patrick. Yes, he's a real person, St. Patrick. He baptized at one time the king of Ireland, his six sons, and 12,000 other people along with them. That was in 430 A.D. Or or how about uh, uh, Boniface in in 680 to 755? He was an English missionary over a 75-year span. The man was known to baptize over 100,000 people. Augustine, one of our early church fathers, in 597 was said to baptize 10,000 men who in response baptized their wives and children on Christmas Day in 597. Now, we weren't there, and I understand that circumstances might have been different for them, and we can only imagine, you know, what those moments must have been like. But I would assume that if you've been baptized before, uh, it's a very powerful and special moment for you, isn't it? Think about that. If, if, you, if you know Christ today and you have walked through that step of obedience for believers' baptism, it was a, it was a very special moment. You won't forget it. I, I, was, I was 14 years old when, when I was saved and baptized. My daddy baptized me in Lake Mayo back, back home. It was a really good moment for me as a teenager, a turning point for my life. But every baptism bears a story. A story of somebody coming to faith in Christ and and, and someone giving their life to the Lord and wanting to obediently respond to that salvation by being baptized. But folks, what does it mean? What what do we learn here from 1 Peter 3 today that gives us a deeper understanding about what baptism is all about? I I know when I said turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3 that that, uh, you may have had some sighs because you might be thinking, are we ever going to get to chapter 4? We've been in chapter 3 now. For, for over for over a month and I, and I want to say to you yes next Sunday Lord willing we'll be in chapter 4 but, but for now we've got to stay here in chapter 3 and here's the reason why I want to preach on the subject set apart by baptism and the text that we're in today encourages us uplifts us but also challenges one to understand why somebody goes through that necessary step in, in the faith now, now, it, now it, it's a good thing if you like to be challenged in the word of God it's encouraging and uplifting because here's the apostle Peter writing to a group of believers in the first century who are being persecuted for their faith and they're undergoing a real battle with real suffering and Peter's saying you not need to be ashamed of the gospel you 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 don't need to be ashamed to be baptized this is a this is a really big deal to you be baptized And, and some of them might have been nervous about that for if they would have stuck their neck out there and said I want to be baptized I want to identify myself with Christ they could have lost their life yet Peter's encouraging them to do that and so he is doing, Peter is writing to them to minister to them. And remember, you know, right where they are, you might be suffering, but remember the Lord Jesus. Remember his suffering for you. And can you fathom what that means for us? His suffering and loss means our gain and our eternal glory. And right here in the middle of that text, as he's writing about Jesus suffering for us, he starts talking, there's two verses set aside for baptism. And he says there's an antitype which now saves us, baptism. 
not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why did Peter input that in the middle of a conversation about being willing to suffer for Christ? When I read that, I'm challenged. And I might be the only one here asking this this morning, but where in the world does that fit in? How does that fit in? What is an anti-type? And what baptism is he talking about that saves us? Because I'm always teaching and preaching to others that, that baptism doesn't save us. Baptism's a response of obedience to God after we've been saved. And then he calls it the answer of a good conscience towards God. What does that mean? And, and so, I, so I studied this passage, and God gave me three reflective statements that help us to understand baptism. And I want you today, whether you were baptized 50 years ago or you're going to be baptized tonight or, or you haven't been baptized yet and you're, you're praying about that next step, I want, you to be able to, uh, I want for you to be able to be baptized and not be concerned about your nerves or your anxieties in front of people or not to do it because you're worried about you know, what people might think of you or, or what you'll look like and, and you're clueless as to why you're being baptized or have been baptized in the first place. I want you to be baptized out of a sense of obedience obedience to the Lord Jesus, a love for him. And I want you to be baptized knowing that this is the very first step of obedience in your new walk with Christ. This is the first thing Christ commissioned us to do upon belief on him for salvation. Isn't Jesus worthy of doing this for us? Think about that. So here are the three reflective statements behind baptism. The first is this. Number one, baptism reflects on a past event. That impacts and relates to our present opportunity. In other words, baptism reflects on the past. All right. First uh, Peter chapter three, the last part of verse twenty, we read about the Lord being uh, long suffering. It says in verse twenty, um, that when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. We read in verse 20 that God was patient. God was exemplifying long-suffering in the days of Noah. Humanity in Noah's day was so wicked, so vile, so wretched to the point that God literally wanted to wipe out, press the reset button on creation. He's going to start this thing all over again. He was going to wipe out all creation on the earth. And before he did this, God gave Noah, God gave the world 120 years of grace. God wants to destroy the earth. Yet he's going to give 120 years for humanity to repent and get right with the Lord. And during that period, there was this righteous preacher, and his name was, was Noah. And he was given the task to, to construct an ark that would save people from this flood of judgment that, was, that loomed about. For 120 years, Noah built an ark. But at the same time, Noah wasn't just building. Noah was preaching. And as he built, he preached judgment. But in that message, there was an invitation, and the invitation was, repent, you'll be rescued. Here's a way of deliverance and of salvation. Believe in the Lord, repent of your sins, you'll be saved from this utter devastation. And the only people on the planet who, who actually believed Noah was his own family, just eight people. You know, sometimes reading that uh, comforts a young preacher of the gospel. You know, there are days when... when when, when I preach and I teach and, and, I, and I feel in my heart that this is the sermon. 
you know, that, that will, will draw someone to Christ. And, and listen, I, I preach with a readiness. I, I preach with an expectation that every time a message is preached, that, that someone needs to hear the message, someone needs to respond to the message. I never preach where I don't believe somebody could or, could, or couldn't get to. I, I always preach that someone could give their life to Christ. I, I, I believe that. And so I pray and I plan and I preach with that desire to see people come to know Christ. And, and, and more times than I can count, all right, I, I, you know, you, you preach a message, and, and, and visibly, you don't, you don't see a response. It happens. You know, you might hear about it in a text message. Somebody might text and say, hey, God really touched me. Somebody might call and say, God, God really spoke to me during that message. Uh, uh, sometimes it's weeks after, and somebody says, you know, that, that message a few Sundays ago really, really reached my heart. Uh, rarely, though, rarely, though, uh, uh, does someone come to faith in the moment of the preaching. And I, and I think about and I think about Noah's day, and, and, and Noah preaching this message for 120 years, and no one responded except for his family, his wife, his three sons, their wives, while the rest of the world drowns in judgment. It just reveals the wickedness of Noah's day. Genesis chapter six tells us all about it. Now Peter uses this example, and, and he uses this example to bring out what baptism means he takes a past event and relates it to our present reality he writes in verse 21 there's an anti-type which now saves us and i read that i'm like what in the world is an anti-type and and so here i'm gonna i'm gonna teach you a new word today an anti-type means copy it means counterpoint it means figure pointing to so the ark think about it this way the ark is a past figure in our day that points to a present opportunity, salvation. An antitype, biblically speaking, is a person or thing that is foreshadowed by representing a type or symbol. So baptism, salvation, is the antitype. The ark is the foreshadowed, foretold of what baptism, salvation, is all about. There's so much more to Noah's story than than Noah, the flood, and the ark, and and a man loading up a a bunch of animals to survive a storm. The ark to Today is a reminder of the past, just how rotten and decayed and, and, and sinful our world has been. And then it's a present reality of just how sinful and rotten and filthy our world has become. Just as Noah preached judgment in, in those days, our Lord Jesus said the same thing would happen to this world. In Matthew chapter 24, he said, Before I return, the world is just going to be like it was in the days of Noah. And then I, and then, and, you know, so, so, I, so I think about the fact that I remember, you know, the, the context of First Peter. He's writing to believers who are fighting the good fight for the faith by living for Jesus in a hostile and unholy world. And believers are being persecuted for their faith in Christ and they're being punished, some to the point of death, for their belief on Jesus and how comforting it must have been for these believers to read Peter's words as he says, Consider the ministry of Noah. This man preached for 120 years in a grace period, and people would not come to the faith. 
You may not have seen the results of his ministry in the now moment. And he's saying that to Peter's listeners. You may not see the results of you sticking out, you know, your faith and living for your faith and staying committed to Christ. You might not see the now moments of of, of your preaching and teaching and your living, but you need to see God will reward and bless greatly way down the road. Think, Think about this. How, you know, Noah didn't see any results in his lifetime. Yet here we are today. Here we are today. A result of the ministry, the faith, the commitment of a man named Noah. Baptism corresponds to the waters that Noah and his family sailed on. Now hear me out. This is not about water. The word baptize means to immerse. And it's not just about immersing in water. When you think about baptism, you immediately think about water. And that's fine. But baptism in this text does not mean to immerse in water. Baptism in this text means to immerse into Christ. Christ is the ark of safety. Just as Noah was immersed in the ark of safety that kept him from the judgment, we as believers in Christ have been immersed. We have been covered in the Lord Jesus. So when that the judgment comes... Eternal death, condemnation comes, it can't touch us. We are covered in Christ, the ark of our salvation. Noah was immersed and he never got wet, nor did his family. Noah was placed in the ark to keep from the flood of judgment. And that's exactly what we get when we receive God's free gift of salvation. We are immersed in Christ. Jesus is our ark of safety that enables us to sail over the sea of judgment that comes due to our sin. To make this simple, Noah in the ark is a picture, a figure of believers that get baptized. But our water baptism has a greater meaning than just getting wet. Our baptism is a powerful picture of something greater that has happened to us we've been saved we've been immersed by the lord jesus christ so that we will not die or perish in our sins so even before i'm baptized in water like tonight there's a there's going to be people baptized in water before they were ever baptized in water they were baptized in christ they were submerged in christ water is just a tangible way that we represent that I was reading about a young pastor and his family that went one Sunday afternoon to visit another family. The adults were on the inside of the house and the kids were on the outside. And after a while, the adults said, you know, we we might need to check on the kids. We haven't heard from them in a while. So they, they go outside and they find their kids in the backyard behind the barn playing church. And the pastor's little six year old daughter, she she's acting like the preacher, her daddy. Now, now the preacher was a part of the church that baptizes in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And they use that terminology, the Holy Ghost. Well, when they found their kids playing, his little girl is the preacher, and she's holding a cat over a barrel of water. And she's practicing her father's part, trying her best to remember what he says before he dunks him. And so she holds the cat over the water, and she says, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and in the hole you go. <laughs> She meant to say the Holy Ghost, but she thought her dad said, the hole you go. (laughs) That's exactly what it was like for Noah. Noah, if you want to be saved, if your family wants to be saved, in the hole you go, or in the hole you go, in the ark you go. 
There's only one place for safety, one doorway into the ark, one way to salvation. You have to go through that door, that hole for safety. And so it is with Christ. There is one way to salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said he is the door. If you will enter through him, you will be saved. Jesus is that door, the hole, the way to salvation. Baptism reflects on a past event that impacts and relates to our present opportunity. A second thing, baptism reflects on a major principle that we are not to forget. Now, baptism is a visible practice, all right? It's not a secret thing that we do. I've had people who have said they would be more comfortable with baptism if they could just do it in the privacy of their home. Or, or, or just, you know, if a few family members were invited. There's this nervous tension or people don't want to get into the water. They don't want to be in front of people. And you know, that, that's fine and dandy if you think that Christianity is a secret. But remember the context of, of 1 Peter. All right? Christianity is not a secret club to them. Christianity is an out in the open. I'm not ashamed. I'm not afraid. I'm not embarrassed to tell the world I believe on Christ. And this is how I'm going to show that. Baptism is a visible practice, but it, but it reflects an invisible principle. You see, we are doing something on the outside that shows what God has already done on the inside. Verse 21 in First Peter chapter 3, you read the word baptism. It says that we have an antitype, which now saves us, and it says baptism. When you see the word baptism, what often comes to mind is the visible practice yes baptism is what christians do everybody sees that the word baptism is the greek word baptizo and and it means to immerse it means to dip it means to dunk it means to drown but i promise you if you get baptized by me i'm not gonna drown you but the word means to be immersed into something and that something could be anything baptism was not a christian word at first folks the Christians did not invent the word baptism. It was a common word that, that was meant to be immersed, drowned, or covered. And you can be immersed and you can be covered. You can be dipped in anything. I, I can be immersed in mud. This, uh, this, Friday, this past Friday afternoon, I was, I was immersed in dust and sweat and clippings of grass as I cut my dad's yard. I, I can be immersed in the schedule, in the work for the day. I can be immersed in an experience. When we were on vacation a few weeks back, our boys were immersed in the experience of riding on a cable car in downtown Cincinnati. Okay? I was immersed in the Pirates Reds baseball game because it was a wonderful experience. I'm not, it's not just a Christian word, but in the same sense, you can be immersed as Jesus was immersed in pain and death. John the Baptist, he talked about three types of immersions, three types of baptisms. He said, I baptize you with water. But there's someone coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So while it's a Christian word, it hasn't always been a Christian word. As a matter of fact, baptism didn't even begin with Christians. Do you know where baptism began? Began with the Jews. If you wanted to become a Jewish person, in other words, if you wanted to convert from from being a Gentile pagan and into a Jew, you could do that. But there were three things that you had to do to be baptized or to uh, to be converted into a Jew. One, you had to be instructed by a scribe or a teacher in Jewish education ways. Two, you had to be circumcised if you were male. And three, baptism in water. They baptized with water too. 
And it was a picture of them becoming an Israelite in all things. And so it symbolized a Gentile leaving the pagan world and coming to a whole new way of life, a whole new identity, a whole new community, a covenant relationship with God. And you know what the Jews did? They would dig their baptism holes. Okay, so they would dig into the rocks and into the muds, and they would make baptistries, uh, you know, out of those rocks. And if you wanted to go to the temple for worship, you had to be baptized. You had to be immersed in and out, dried off, and then you could go to the temple. If you had become defiled by touching something dead or somebody that had a a flow of blood, you had to ritually be cleansed before you could ever go and worship. So if you were a Gentile converting to Judaism, you were immersed, you were baptized. So here's the big question. How did Christians get there? If baptism is a secular thing that Jews took in practice, then how did it become a Christian thing? And when you open up the New Testament, you read about, read about one of the strangest characters in all the Bible, John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. Here's a guy who is covered in, 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 in animal skins and he's eating honey and eating locusts or bugs and he's preaching the gospel. And so you see John the baptizer, and and here he is dunking people, immersing people in the Jordan River. Why the Jordan River? People ask, why the Jordan River? Well, Well, because rivers are living water. They're not stagnant. They're moving. They're alive. They're going from one place to the other. So it's appropriate that they baptized in living water. So here's John the Baptist, and he's baptizing people. But get this. He's not baptizing Gentiles to make them Jews. He's baptizing Jews to make them something else. And that's why the Jewish leaders had a problem with that. And they come up to John the Baptist and they're like, whoa, 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 you you need to stop what you're doing. What's up with this? We're sons of Abraham. And and John the Baptist said, well, that's fine. Don't think think much of yourself. We're we're sons of Abraham. God God makes sons of Abraham out of rocks. Who are you? And, and, And John the Baptist said, the Messiah is coming. And you need to repent. You need to get ready for him. And this is a baptism, but this is not a baptism to go into Judaism. This is a baptism into repentance. In so many words, Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming, and we're baptizing to show that our hearts are ready to receive him. We need to repent of our sins. We need to repent of our religious show. My religion is not enough for salvation. I need to turn to God, repent for my sin, and show the faith that I have in the one to come, Jesus the Messiah. So for a Jew to be baptized by John the Baptist, since baptism was for outsiders to to become insiders, they had to admit something before being baptized. They had to admit, I am a sinful person. I'm an outsider. I may be religious. I may be sincere, but I'm an outsider who needs repentance, and my religion is not enough to save me. So baptism reflects a major principle that I should not forget. When I am baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I'm being immersed into something new. Sure, I can get baptized. Peter talks about getting baptized, and I can get clean. I can do it out of ceremony. Anybody can get wet. Anybody can get in the pool. I can go through the religious motions. I can get in the water. I can swim around. I can cover myself in water. But that's not what the Apostle Peter's talking about here. He's talking about a principle that we should not and cannot forget, and that is this. Baptism is all about a change that happened within my life. 
Within my heart, it's a visible practice of something that has happened on the inside. Christ has come in, and if Christ has saved me, I am a free man. I'm a new man. I'm a woman or a child of God, a man of God. I'm visibly showing my repentance, my faith, my belief in Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, the Lord and Savior of my life. And that's what I want you to understand today about baptism and why you're being baptized. No matter the age, I want for each person to understand the reason why something has happened on the inside and i want to show it on the outside so when our eight-year-old michael was baptized earlier this year i sat down with him and we walked through it and i explained that we are we are baptized not because we want to go to heaven or 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 to get saved we get baptized because we want to share with people that we already have been saved and so so micah I, i was very straightforward with him I said, if you really want to be baptized, you first got to know Jesus. I'm looking for Micah to trust in Jesus as his Savior, and he's baptized to reflect that principle, that belief. I know Christ, therefore I'm being baptized. And I stress that today. You know, to children tonight who are being baptized, anyone of any age, it's an honor to baptize them. But before they get in the water, they need to remember and understand why. It's because you've trusted in Christ as your Savior. It's because he's your Lord. The most important baptism has already happened. And that's the baptism into Christ. And I want to share this third thing, and I'm finished. Baptism reflects spiritual power that Jesus gives us through his resurrection. Baptism ultimately reflects the power that comes through Jesus and is now in you. And that is the power to give us new life eternal life that power is not your power that power is not my power that power is the power of jesus through his resurrection you look at the last part of verse 21 actually just read the whole verse there is also an antitype which now saves baptism not the removal of the filth of the flesh but the answer of a good conscience towards god through the resurrection of jesus christ now that's powerful peter doesn't want his audience thinking that Going down in the water itself will save you. And so he says, the baptism I'm writing about is not about the removal of the filth of the flesh. I'm talking about the removal of your sins. I'm talking about an inward change that will change your life for eternity. When Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered death. And he wants them to know that he's referring to the spirituality when he says, this is the answer. Okay, some of your translations may say the appeal of a good conscience towards God. So just like Noah and his family, you know, walking into the ark, you know what happened when they walked into the ark? They said goodbye to an old world. They said goodbye to an old life. What was left in the old life? Nothing. It drowned. It was gone. They walked into the ark and they said goodbye to their old life and they said hello to a new life wherever that boat is going to land. So when we come to Christ, we we leave this old life and we enter into new life through Jesus Christ. And, and And this new life that we start is the life that we are enabled to live not by our own power or our own strength, but by the resurrection of Jesus. When we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we now have a good conscience. We have a clear conscience before God. In so many words, I am no longer condemned before the Lord because of Jesus. I'm no longer condemned. I'm free 
from accusation. I've been delivered. I've been saved. I've repented of my sins. I've asked God to forgive me and remove the sin and the shame. So when I'm baptized in Christ, the wet water symbolizes what Jesus has already done and the decision that I've made to receive that free gift of grace. Now, this brings up the question, or it really answers the two questions. Do you have to be baptized to be saved? The answer is no. You have to be saved, though, to be baptized. So do you have to be baptized to be saved? No, you have to be saved to be baptized. Baptism follows belief. In Acts chapter 8, and here's, here's just an example. In Acts chapter 8, there was a guy from Ethiopia, and he was a eunuch, and he's going back from Jerusalem back home, and he's reading scriptures. And Philip joins him. Uh, Philip was a deacon, and he's also a missionary, and he joins him uh, uh, on a chariot. And, and they happen to be reading scripture together. And lo and behold, the eunuch and, and, and Philip are reading Isaiah chapter 53, which is a passage of scripture that talks about the sufferings of Jesus. Well, Philip leads the Ethiopian to Christ. Philip gets saved, and, and, and now he's wanting to know, where, where's the water? I want to be baptized. And, and, so, and so he says, there's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you can be baptized. You, you got to believe. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They, they got up, they went down, and Philip was baptized. Or the Ethiopian unit was baptized by Philip. Same thing happened in Mark chapter 16. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Notice the first thing that was said. Belief. Baptism follows. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Now, you may be thinking, now, that's a scripture that could trick me. See, so you have to be baptized to be saved. That's part of the scripture. Let me finish the sentence. He says, he who does not believe will be condemned. How do you stay condemned? By not believing. He didn't say, he who does not believe and is not baptized. Why does he even mention baptism? Because baptism follows belief. Baptism follows faith. You know, there, there are people who get saved and they're not able to get baptized. If you're on a deathbed and you're not able to physically get up, how are you going to be baptized? Or, 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 or what if you're just physically unable? Maybe you're on an oxygen tank or you're hooked up to monitors and somebody comes in and says, wait, you, know, you, you need to be baptized before you can be saved. Think about it this way. What, what if the thief on the cross says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom? It would have been kind of silly if Jesus said, well, I'd like to help you out, but we can't get baptized from the cross. I hope you end up well in eternity. That would have been a sad moment, wouldn't it? What did he say to him? Surely today you'll be with me in paradise. That's faith. Belief. Now, there is a passage of Scripture that people like to use to prove that you have to be baptized to be saved. It's Acts 2.38. Peter said, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. People look at that verse and they'll say, yes, that's the one. You have to be baptized to be saved because he said, repent, be baptized for the remission of your sins. The word for in the Greek language can mean for, but it can also mean because of. When you look into that text, here's what it means. It means you can, be, you can be saved. In other words, it's saying this, I am saved, I repent, and I let every one of us be baptized because Christ has forgiven my sins. That's how it's supposed to read. And that's what it means, because of. Now, here's an example. Let's say this morning, I bring up a soldier into the sanctuary, and he comes on stage. And I say to you, 
the soldier has been decorated for bravery, for courage, and for honor. Do I mean that he has been decorated in order that he may become brave or courageous or a man of honor? No. He's decorated because he's a brave soldier. He's decorated because he's a man of courage. He's decorated because he's a man of honor. So that's why most modern translations put it this way. Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as an expression of the remission of your sins. Your sins have been paid for. Baptism points to that reality. I've always loved that little text when the apostle Paul wrote in in, in the letter to the Corinthians. He said, when I was with you, I didn't baptize any of you except for Christmas and Gaius. Oh yeah, and the household of Stephanus, that was it. I didn't baptize anybody else the reason he didn't baptize was because paul came to preach the gospel his job wasn't necessarily to baptize his job was to preach and if paul if paul was all about salvation is by baptism he would have carried a baptistry around with him everywhere he went no his job was to preach the gospel why because faith faith is far more important than the water baptism always follows belief now here's here's how we'll end today somebody wants to know then why in the world should i be baptized i'll give you two reasons one is this instruction number two identification instruction jesus said do it that should be enough right Jesus said, do it. Jesus instructed, he taught, he lived it out, he commanded it. Go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. If Jesus said, do it, we do it. Well, I need to know why. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I command. How about that? That ought to be enough. Instruction, he said, to do it, we should do it. But there's a second reason, identification. When you're baptized, you are identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? We take the person in the baptistry and we we put them down under the water. That's death and burial. That person comes out of the water. That's resurrection. That's what baptism is a picture of. That's the visual that speaks of the invisible. In Romans chapter 6, Paul said, We were baptized into his death, buried with him through baptism into death, and that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we should also walk in the newness of life. So you see, when you're baptized, you're making it personal. You're saying, Jesus died for my sins. He died in my place. I'm dead to the old stuff. I want the new. And I want the world to know that I identify myself with Christ. And there's no shame. So when you think about the context of 1 Peter chapter 3, and you've got first century believers that are losing their life for their walk in Christ, and they're, and they're, being, they're being persecuted, they're being hurt for their faith, Peter, Peter is calling out to them, and he's saying, identify yourself with Jesus. There's nobody better to identify yourself with. You know, you can get baptized 50 times a day and not be a saved man or woman. It's not about washing the flesh. It's about having a clear conscience before God that you believe that Jesus took your place. He rose from the dead. He conquered death. He gave you life. Do you have that this morning? And only you can answer that. So I'd like for you, if you would, just to stand and would you bow your heads with me. This is how we're going to end our service today. We're going to pray together. Father, Thank you for this set-apart time to talk about a very important subject, the reason we're baptized.
We don't get baptized to be saved. We get baptized because we are saved. And the most important baptism that we ever had before, before the actual water baptism was the fact that Christ covered us. Christ covered us with his life, with his death, with his resurrection. And we believe that. We believe that Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross for our sins, was raised to glorious life, and by having faith in him, I bear witness to his power in my heart, in my life, to his salvation. And I want to walk in his grace. I want to walk in new life. So, Father, I pray for some who may be with us this morning and they've never made a conscious decision to follow Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord. And so if that's you this morning and you say, Peter, I've never put my faith and my trust in Jesus, but I want to right now. I want a clean, a pure, a good conscience before God. I want to be set free from my sins. I want to trust in Jesus as my Savior. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up? Peter, today I want to be saved. I want to be right with God. I want to walk in the newness of life that Christ offers. Anybody? Father, I also pray today for believers who may not have taken this necessary step of faith. The reason we were baptized is because it reflects what Jesus has done for us. We identify ourselves with you. And it's necessary for obedience sake. Not for salvation's sake, but for obedience sake. You called us to do it. It's the first step after becoming a believer in Christ. So I pray for obedience today. If there, if there are people who have not committed to being baptized and it's just out of simple fear or anxiety or worry, Lord, help them to get over that. This is not about them. This is about what you have done inside of them. This is about the change that has been brought in their life. And I pray, God, today they have an opportunity tonight to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To be baptized in what Christ has done for them. To tell others, to share with others, I have a new life in Christ and I want the world to know I'm identified with him. So, God, I pray that if someone needs to take that step of obedience today, that they would indeed do that. They wouldn't hesitate, that they wouldn't be bashful or shy, that they wouldn't worry about what other people think of them. This is about, Lord, their relationship with you and sharing that as a measure of the gospel for others. And God, there are other things that we should pray for this morning as well. There are lost people that may be on our hearts today that have never been saved, that have never trusted in Jesus. And if we were building an ark today and we were calling people to come to repentance and faith, we know that they wouldn't be on the ark So, God, move our hearts today to pray for people that don't know Christ. Move us, God. Give us an urgency, God, to preach the gospel with the expectation, the hope, the prayer that people would come to know Christ. Lord, there may be other things that are on our hearts today that were never even mentioned in the sermon. And maybe someone today needs prayer, they need encouragement. Maybe someone today needs healing. They need to be touched and prayed over. God, we just ask that you, would, that you would reach our hearts today. Show us what we need to do. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Tammy, would you just take a moment to play? If someone needs to respond to the message in any way, um, you, you come. If you need to come and pray at this altar, you're certainly welcome to. If you need to be prayed for.
Sean, myself, we'd be honored. We'd be delighted to, to pray over you today. Allow the Lord to minister to you this morning. You come if you need to. God bless you for coming.